Hi everybody, it's Paula Waterman. And if you're tuning in on Facebook or on our YouTube channel, welcome. This is Saturday Night Supper Club. We're glad to have you, glad to see you. Tonight's sermon is about vision and particularly God's vision for us. You know, we can have a vision, but God has a vision for us. And I don't know about you, but I've been a little bit distracted these last couple of weeks with maybe a little too much news, a little too much Facebook um, scrolling. I've, I've kind of gotten my eyes off of what God is doing in the world today. And like Bob talked about last week, we're in a sovereign time. God is doing things that maybe we can't see right now, but he is actually accomplishing his purpose. You know, one of his purposes, a major purpose, he wants to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth. It's one of the main reasons that Jesus came to earth was to reestablish God's intentional plan. The other plans that God has um, are for us personally. And I'm going to read you a very familiar verse. It's a verse that's um, a favorite of me and Chris. And it's it's uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a little bit different translation. It's the New Century Version. He says, I say this because I know what I am planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. So we see that God has plans for the earth and he plan has plans for us personally. <sighs> You know, um, I go to this three to five club, which is kind of like a business club, business support group kind of thing. And it talks about vision all the time. It was, in fact, it kind of gave me this idea. And one thing that they say is you need to have a vision for your business that looks to the end, that actually has the end in mind. And then you need to repeat it to yourself and to everyone involved in it every 28 days. So I thought this would be a really good time for us to talk about the long-term vision and then how do we get there, the, the immediate vision for us? Because I believe that, that God's long-term vision is to have the kingdom of heaven take over the earth entirely. And what he wants to do is he wants to restore humanity to their original place. Human beings are placed on this earth to be an image bearer, to rule and reign in the place of God, and to have a physical earth that reflected the kingdom of heaven. Well, that didn't happen. Adam and Eve fell and sin came into the world and actually the enemy came in and took authority away from Adam and Eve. Well, through Jesus Christ, God has said, oh no, we're going to turn that all around. I want the kingdom of heaven to be established on earth. That's not stopped. And I want men and women to rule and reign in that kingdom of heaven. But in order for that to happen, we've got to begin to walk in something called shalom wholeness. God's vision for us personally is to walk in complete wholeness in our life in the same way that Christ walked in wholeness. You know, Christ is the firstborn among the children of God. That means he is the forerunner. He is the example. He is our big brother. That's what we look to when we say, what does it mean to be a whole person? Uh, Romans 8, 28, one of my favorites. And then the second, the verse after 8, 29 says this. This is the Passion Translation. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who become just like him. God wants us to be conformed 
to the image of Christ. That is how we will manifest wholeness in our life. What's the definition of wholeness or a biblical shalom? The definition is peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. So the first thing I want to talk about when it comes to a shalom peace, one of the first aspects is this idea of peace, peace in general. And I'm going to particularly hone in on what I would call emotional peace, peace in our emotions and in our soul, if you will. You know, when I was um, younger, not very many years younger, but when I was a little bit younger, I went through a program called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is a Christian 12-step program that helps people heal from life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I don't know about you, but if you have any age on this earth, you've probably been hurt. You might have a hang-up, you know. Um, those kinds of things can get in the way of our wholeness, and they can get in the way of our destiny. They kind of uh, make us be stuck in that area. And God needs us to, have, to be mature. He needs to have mature, whole people that he can trust and give big jobs to. You know, you don't give big jobs to children that are still learning. You give jobs to adults. You, you unveil your heart to adults and say, hey, this is what is going on. I mean, imagine if you were an employer and you had a landscaping job and you needed some person to come in and, and move this rock around or, or do this design or whatever, and they showed up with two broken arms. And you'd be like, hey, um, I've got this job over here, but I don't feel like you're ready to do this job because you're not physically, you know, your arms don't work. They're broken. How about you go see the doctor, do what it takes, get those arms healed up, come back and see me. And then, you know, I've got a job for you. And it's kind of like that with the Lord. He's like, you know, Hey, I've got, I got places I want to go and I want you to come with me, but we need to work on some areas in your life where you're stuck or maybe your lens is messed up, you can't see things right, you've got an addiction problem, something like that. And God's like, let's clean that up. Let's take care of that so that we can go to the next place together. And I think that's really important. I think it's important that as a church, we recognize that those are, those are um, aspects of places where we're broken. We need to be okay to be broken. In a church, we need to invite broken people into our, into our space. Because people, guess what? Everybody's broken. One way or the other, everybody is broken. And we need to actually provide a safe environment for them to come and to get healed. I think another um, component or aspect of wholeness is the area of truth. This has to do with what do we come into agreement with in our mind? Because in many ways, just like Joyce Meyer says, the battlefield is in the mind. It's what we agree with. We can see this kind of played out with the story of Jesus when he was in the um, desert. He was brought out by the Holy Spirit into the desert and he fasted for 40 days. He didn't eat for 40 days. At the end of 40 days, Satan, the enemy, came to him and began to tempt him, began to say, hey, if you're the king or if you're, if you're truly Jesus, do this, this, and this. And I just want you to know, you guys, this is a tactic of the enemy. He comes at us when we're weak. He comes at us when we're isolated. Jesus was all alone and Jesus was hungry. He was physically weak and he, he was um, 
more tempted at this time to really give in to what the enemy was going to do. We see this also in the um, animal world. I don't know if you guys follow um, elephants or anything like that. I love elephants. I was watching this video and there was uh, two elephants with their little baby elephant and they are walking across the savanna and lo and behold, 14 wild dogs ran up and started to go after the little the little baby elephant, probably not even a year old, maybe six months old. And the mama or the dad, I don't know, the adult elephant turned around and trumpeted and charged and protected this um, baby. And after a period of time, you could see the whole the whole herd of elephants came down the hill and they stood shoulder to shoulder and they put that little elephant between their legs and they they made it they made a barrier between them and the other the wild dogs and eventually they chased them off and i, I read later that elephants grown elephants have no predators in the natural world they do as as humans is a predator but no other predator no lions no tigers nothing can take a grown elephant down because they're so massive. They're so big. And in a way, that's where God wants us to be. But we see back in the desert that Satan comes to Jesus and he says, listen, if you're the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. You know, fulfill your physical needs. Do what you need to do. Well, the first temptation has to do with meeting our own needs ourselves, our, our real needs. These are real needs. Jesus is hungry. That's a real need. And Satan is saying, hey, you know, you do this for yourself. Don't wait for the Lord. You just do what you need to do. That's the first temptation. And Jesus said, no, man doesn't leave, live by bread alone, by, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The second temptation was, was Satan tempted Jesus to throw himself off a cliff to test God's commandment and love. And then Satan used the scriptures against Jesus and said, you know, because the scripture says your foot will not be dashed on a rock because the angels will come down and rescue you. And he was trying to tempt Jesus to doubt God's commitment, to test God. And of course, Jesus said, the scriptures say, test not the Lord your God. The third temptation, Satan said, listen, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you every kingdom that you see here. And at that time, Jesus said, it is, the Bible says to worship the one and only God. And, and Satan left. But those were three temptations that are common to us. One is for us to meet our own needs, whatever needs, legitimate needs, to meet our own needs and not wait for God. One is to doubt God's love for us. Does he really love of us? Does he really care for us? You know, to, to begin to have that paralysis of analysis. And the third is to worship somebody other than God, ourselves, our addictions, other people. The third temptation is to take God off the throne and put somebody else on the throne. Those are very common temptations that we also can um, fall victim to. And Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Of all the armor, we see that the sword of the spirit is the one that we take to the battle. It is our offensive weapon. Every other piece of equipment is for protection and defense, but the sword of the spirit is meant to attack the enemy. You know, there's a picture in the Bible. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And that, that's the idea of the church taking the battle to hell. We're not waiting for hell to overcome us. We're going to go take the battle to hell. What does that look like? That looks like us saying, hey, like those strong elephants, we're going to stand, we're going to protect the weak among us, and we're going to go after what is coming after the people that we love. We're going to break generational curses. We're going to be models of grace and peace to the people around us. We are actually going to do spiritual warfare for the people in our uh, realm of responsibility, and we're going to break the power of the enemy in their life. That's what it means to wield the sword of the spirit. That is the word of God inside of us. We need to be so permeated with the word of God that when we're weak or isolated, the enemy cannot take us down with these temptations and we can help other people not be taken down by these temptations. You know, we do recognize people that are struggling in this area. Some of their strongholds are a spirit of poverty, a spirit of unforgiveness, a spirit of addiction, spirit of pride, spirit of fear. But the, the Bible says we are not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. And, you know, I think that means all the time. You know, at least 28 days, according to research, we need to have this vision and transforming our minds so much that when that um, pity party comes to us and we want to test God and say he doesn't care about us, we can immediately replace it with the word of God. We can immediately take that down because we have, we're so um, bathed in the truth of God. I think another um, type of shalom peace is the idea of prosperity. God's plans are that we should live in prosperity, not just physical prosperity, but physical, relational, and any other kind of prosperity you can think of. The definition of prosperity is to be successful, flourishing, have a thriving condition, and particularly sometimes in financial aspects. You know, a lot of people are afraid about talking about prosperity because it's been kind of um, messed up or abused a little bit in the idea that it only applies to your financial situation. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to be scared of that. God does want us to be prosperous in a financial area. The kingdom of heaven needs money. The kingdom of heaven needs people who can manage money, steward money, make money. And if that's one of your talents and gifts, then go make some money. Go do what God has called you to do. But you're going to do it in the way that God prescribes, not in your own strength. The real key to prosperity, any kind of prosperity, I think this is just key, is the verse in Matthew 6, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, prosperity has to do with putting God's will first in our lives. God is our creator. He is our potter. He knows what he put inside of us. He knows what makes us tick. If we will align with his will, all those gifts that he placed inside of us rise up and begin to operate, so to speak, on all cylinders. They're not compromised by our selfishness or our pride or our hurts or anything like that. They begin to operate in a very productive way. 
But the way to get that, to get there is to submit ourselves to the will of God. I think another way that God wants us to be prosperous is in our relationships. You know, Chris and I do a um, marriage class every Tuesday. And sometimes Tuesday will roll around. I'm like, oh, I've got to do that class again. I, I'm, ugh, I'm so tired of it. We've been doing it for two or three years. And every time I'm done with it, I'm so glad I did it. Because you know what I'm doing when I do a marriage class? I am reiterating the vision for my marriage every single week. I am agreeing with the vision for my marriage. I am being intentional about the vision for my marriage every single week. To me, that's the power of small groups. In small groups, we can get together and we can light the vision for each other. We can keep it alive for each other when we meet regularly. We can encourage, we can say, I see this in you. I see that in you. The other thing with relational prosperity is we have the Holy Spirit to come and help us with relationships. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll be talking to somebody. I'll be um, trying to figure out, might be in a conflict. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. I don't understand why they're mad, what's going on. And when I stop and I talk and I ask the Holy Spirit, he might say to me, you know what? You, you triggered him. He's got a trigger going on here. Give him grace. Give mercy. Or the Lord might say, you know, this is a place for boundaries. You need to have boundaries with this person. You need to have tough love. Or you might need to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Those are all ways the Holy Spirit empowers us to have um, prosperous relationships. Because the purpose of Jesus was to restore humanity back to God and to restore humanity back to each other. We are supposed to be restored prosperous in our relationships so that we might be healthy to extend the kingdom of heaven to the whole earth. I believe that we're supposed to be prosperous in our physical body. I don't believe that God wants us to be um, distracted and kept down by all the physical ailments that, that come at us. Sometimes we can't help it. I totally get that. But we believe as a church, Saturday Night Supper Club, that God heals in two ways. He heals supernaturally. He may touch you and one time you'd be completely healed in that area of your life. Or he may say, I'm going to heal you through doctors. Because guess what? God created medicine. God created those people that can practice medicine, that can help you, the scientists, everybody that did all the research. All that truth stems from the Lord, and it's for your healing. And I believe that, that physical healing is God's will for us, physical prosperity. Um, you know, sometimes, have you ever met people that are hyper-focused on their their body, they, they are focused on every ache and pain in their body. They're completely distracted and shut down. They are not able to go forward at all. They're stuck in the area of their physical healing. God wants to break that off people. And we believe in prayer and we believe in breaking off what is binding people up in the area of their physical um, body. So in conclusion, you know, I just want to encourage you encourage you to seek out the vision that God has for your life. When I was a little girl, I would go with my dad. Sometimes he might take me hunting or we might go just out riding around. He had these really big binoculars and he'd put them up on my eyes. And when he first put them up there, I'd look through them and they're real blurry. Like I couldn't see well and it was distorted. And then he would like focus in the lens and kind of fiddle around with it. And then pretty soon I could see real clearly what was in front of me. And it was miles and miles away, but it was like it was right in front of me because that's what binoculars do, right? But at first I couldn't see it. I had to spend some time adjusting my lens. And you know what, you guys? We may have to do that. God wants to see 
wants us to see far ahead what he has for us. But to do that, we may need to clean off our lens, adjust our lens, do a little work so we can see the vision that God has for the earth and for us. And I'm going to conclude with this verse. This is from Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 18, the message. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Have a great night. I'm going to pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everyone that showed up and watched Supper Club tonight. God, I pray this blesses them. I pray, God, that you would open up the vision in their mind. They would see far beyond what they ever thought was going on, Lord. They would actually, there'd be a revelation into their spirit, Lord, of what you're doing in their life and what you're doing on earth. We love you and we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.